Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. All of us here, we interact with more lost people than saved people. We have access to more because there are more lost people than saved people. So he says, hey, redeem the time. Right? Redeem the opportunities to deal with those that don't know the Lord. And while there are all these bad examples and bad witnesses, don't be another one of them. Amen. Um, so we want to be faithful to share the gospel with those that need to hear the gospel. The gospel is great news. Sometimes you need to understand the bad news to appreciate the good news. But the gospel is, in fact, good news. And we need to be sharing that. Unbelievers outnumber those who know and follow Christ. So by default, you run into and interact with more people who don't know the Lord than do. In Pastor Bill's message, he encourages you to be wise with the time the Lord has given you. Use your time to build his kingdom by sharing the good news with unbelievers. Be a good example to your co-workers and neighbors. They know you are a Christian, so live a life that will make Christ proud. If you try to fit in and do all the things they do, you might give Christians a bad name. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 as he begins his message, Walk in Wisdom. You guys have been following along in our study through Ephesians. We've been learning in chapter five about our walk with the Lord. And so two weeks ago, we were talking about walking in love. And you got to go back and listen to that. But the summary of it was walking in love meant the way it was laid out in Ephesians was that we're not having illicit sexual relations with other people. We're not speaking in ways that are foul. Walking in love meant that we're not doing things that are going to damage another person's relationship with the Lord. That's what it is to walk in love. Last week, we looked at what it is to walk in the light. And Paul said that we're not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, we're no longer living in opposition to an all-knowing, all-seeing God. And so we're we're those that are walking in the light. We're not walking in darkness. We're not living double, double lives or secret lives. And so today... We're going to learn about walking in wisdom. And I want you to see this progression in walking in love, walking in love. We're, we're not doing things that will potentially hurt other people and walking in the light. We're not doing things that would offend God. But now today we're going to learn about walking in wisdom and we're no longer looking at what we're not doing. Walking in wisdom, we're going to learn about we're progressing to the place where we're doing the things that please the Lord and bless other people. And I think it's an important progression. Some people get saved or they get into a relationship with the Lord and all they can think about is all the don't do's. For some people, that's what Christianity is to them. It's a bunch of rules. It's what we don't do anymore. And they never progress from the stuff we stopped doing to the stuff that now we, we are to do. But we want there to be progression. Our walk, our manner of life as Christians, there should be that progression. And so wherever you may be, maybe you're still at the place where God is saying, stop that. And so for you, you should stop that. You should yield to the Lord and whatever those things that he's telling you to stop. But if we've gotten beyond that and we're no longer doing these other things, know that God cuts out stuff that he might begin to give us new direction and new guidance for our lives. And so, again, as we look at walking in wisdom today, we're going to see that now we're progressing to the place where now we're going to do the things that God desires, the things that please the Lord. And we're looking to be a blessing to other people, not just what I don't do to hurt you. But how can I be a blessing? How can I minister to you? And so now look at Ephesians 5. I'm read 15 and 16. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
And so the first thing he says, walk circumspectly. That's not a word I use in my normal vernacular. I don't know about you guys. So circumspectly, it means exactly, accurately, diligently, that our manner of life, our walk, our manner of living, it can't be just sloppy or random, but it's to be careful and exact. And so here's the idea. When he says walk circumspectly, we're not just doing whatever. We're not just meandering. We're not just randomly doing whatever we think. But the Bible says that our steps are to be ordered by who? Ordered by the Lord. God said, I want there to be ordered to your life. I want to order your steps. In the last few years, it's become cool for stuff to be random. Oh, that was so random. Like that, like it's a good thing for stuff to just be random. It's really stupid, though, because that means that there's no order. It's just like we just went today and it was so random. We saw this. We saw that. And I don't know how that became a fad or popular or cool or whatever. But know that in your walk with the Lord, there ain't nothing special about stuff being random. God says, I want you to walk circumspectly. Let there be some order to your life that God gives some guidance and some direction and some order. And so he says, walk circumspectly. And then he expounds upon it. He says, not as fools, but as wise. And I feel like this has come up three studies in a row where we're looking at the distinction between wise and foolish. You know, whenever God continues to hammer on some, it keeps coming up. It was up Wednesday night. It was up last Sunday. And we're at it again. But difference between wise and foolish Whenever we see in scripture fools or foolish, here's the idea. The foolish, foolish and the wise have this in common. They both know what God wants. The foolish know what God wants, but won't do it. The wise know what God wants and he'll do it. And we have a great illustration in Matthew 7. Jesus in his sermon on the mount as he's wrapping it up. He says, he who hears these sayings of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. He says, he who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And they both endure storms and rains and winds and everything else. And obviously the foolish guy's house falls down. The wise man's house stands up. And so he says, hey, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so everybody here for yourself, this is we evaluate ourselves. Are we walking wise or foolish? Are we are we living in obedience to what we know? None of us are perfect. But in your manner of life, in general, in your manner of life, are you living in obedience to what you know, to what God has revealed to you already? That's what we want. Where none of us are going to achieve perfection, but we want to achieve obedience. We want to achieve a place where there's obedience and surrender within our lives. And so is that happening in your life? Are you wise? Would would you be considered wise or foolish? But if you find it not, be considered wise. Well, praise God. Ask your husband or wife, though. You know, let them tell you. Let somebody else tell you if you're wise or foolish. But if not, if you would say, no, you know what? I've been foolish. I know better than what I'm doing. Um, what do you do about that? You repent of that today. Right? You don't continue in that. You repent of it. Blood of Christ is able to cleanse you and to forgive you so you can move beyond that. And so, again, we walk circumspectly, not as fools, I'm sorry, but as wise. And then he tells us why. He says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And that word redeeming the time, redeeming is to buy up opportunities. It's buying up opportunities, not wasting them. The Figuratively, it's, it's rescuing something from loss. You know, we were redeemed. We were lost and God redeemed us by his blood, right? He says, now redeem the time. Some of us treat time like it's ours. You know, you get up and say, like, I got 24 hours in a day. I, you know, a phrase that you hear a lot today is, I want some me time. You know, this is all, now I'm not knocking, you know, I'm not knocking a day of rest or a Sabbath or, you know, but make sure that, you know, if you took a pie of your life, take the last seven days of your life. And if you put it in a pie, how much of that pie matters to God? 
or how much of that pie is spent on things that matter to the Lord? How much of that pie is used up with things that are that are against or offensive to the Lord? And then some people have a, you know, there's stuff on your pie that they just don't matter to God. It's not sinful, but it just doesn't matter. It has no eternal value to it. One of the ways that I believe Satan trips up Christians is to get them using too much of their life on things that just don't matter eternally. That you spend the best of your day, the best of your energy, the best of whatever, pursuing that which God doesn't care about. But I also believe that we can look at our lives and, and God can make purpose out of every part of it. You may, you know, most of us have jobs. And if you have a job and I got to go to my job this many hours every single day, but look for the, look for a purpose in that. You'll be a good employee. That's coming up later on in Ephesians. We're talking about our, our role as employees or working for other people. But you can be the kind of employee that God in my work, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to I'm going to work as if I work for you and let that be a light to my boss and those that are over me. I'm going to have an influence on people around me. I'm going to build relationships that maybe maybe not on the clock, you know, maybe after hours, maybe I get with some guys that I'm chopping it up with and further share with them. But I'm going to redeem the time that I got to be here at work. Maybe you're a student. And you got to be sitting in a class with a bunch of people that you don't know and you got stuff to deal with other people on. Redeem that. God, show me how to, you know, show me how to make the most of this opportunity here. We then this is why we redeem the time. It says because the days are evil. We're living in days that are evil and people all around us are wrapped up in stuff. People are caught up on their loss. People are, are they don't know God. And if they're in class with you or they live on the block with you or they sit at work with you. God says, man, redeem that, please. Buy that up. Steal that opportunity for my glory. Use it. Make use of it. The reason we do it is because the days are evil. Something that I want to also, if you're writing notes, write down Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He gives us a little, another spin on this. He says in Colossians 4, 5, it says, it says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And it's reminding us as believers that we walk in wisdom to those that are outside. That's speaking of non-believers. Walk in wisdom toward them redeeming the time. And so we want to be careful. Sometimes the worst witness to those that are outside are people that are inside. Uh, how many guys have seen Christians be a bad witness, be super spiritual, be, you know, be leading with something less than the gospel? You know, all that stuff is a turnoff, right? If I'm talking to non-believers, what do they need to be hearing from me? The gospel, right? No matter what you are, no matter what the non-believer, you could be a non-believer that's whatever your sin is. You could be a drug addict. You could be living in sexual sin. You could be a thief. You could be a crack dealer. You could be a crack addict. They need the gospel, right? And sometimes with Christians, we leave with our disgust for their life. Like you didn't used to live like that. And here's the thing, too. I may see someone that's living a life that I never lived, but I did live a life of sin before. I, didn't, I haven't always been with God. Sometimes we get a little down the road in the Lord and forget what you used to be. Forget that you were redeemed. Forget that one day you were lost in your sins. And so when we're looking at people that are lost, whatever they're lost in, don't be disgusted with that. Look at that. That's a soul. That's a person that God died for, that God would save. And, and make sure that as you engage, they're not getting an eye full of you, your disgust, your anger with their particular sin, but they're getting an ear full of, you know, I'm telling you what God did for you. What did God do for this sinner? What is, how does God feel about this sinner? He loves them, right? What did he do for him? He died for him. Now, I'm not saying that we, you know, we take the teeth out of the gospel. If you don't receive it, where are you going to go? No. The hell, that's part of the gospel. If you do receive it, you can go to heaven. Like, but that's what we're, we're, we're not leading with. I'm not, I'm not, my opening conversation with somebody lost isn't you're going to hell. I don't think that would be, he's a walking wisdom to those that are outside. Why? Redeeming the time. All of us here, we interact with more lost people than saved people. 
We have access to more there because there are more lost people than saved people. So he says, hey, redeem the time. Right. Redeem the opportunities to deal with those that don't know the Lord. And while there are all these bad examples and bad witnesses, don't be another one of them. Amen. Um, so we want to be faithful to share the gospel with those that need to hear the gospel. The gospel is great news. Sometimes you need to understand the bad news to appreciate the good news. But the gospel is, in fact, good news. And we need to be sharing that. When I wasn't saved, you know, I used to be party and be drunk and stuff like that. I, did, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know the Lord. There was a rap group when I was younger called the Alcoholics. And on the front of one of their album covers, they had a guy that was bent over the toilet throwing up because he got drunk. I thought that was so I'm not saved. So I thought that was cool. I have I had a friend that airbrushed. He airbrushed that image on a T-shirt, had my nickname on the back. And I'm walking through the mall. I'm proud of my classification as a drunk or alcoholic. Like I had T-shirts with St. Ives bottles. Like I was proud of that was what I was into. And I see an aunt that I, you know, one of my mom's sisters who's Christian. And, you know, I, I don't I'm not embarrassed about what I'm wearing. I'm like, hey, auntie, I gave her a hug and I'm excited to see her and be nice to her. And she is disgusted at my shirt and she's smelling me, smells cigarettes. And then she called my mother and she called other people and her husband called me and wanted to have a talk with me. And I never forget that conversation. Nothing in that conversation made me want to seek the Lord, made me want to go to. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to sock him in his mouth, but he was on the phone. He didn't leave with the gospel. He's like, man, you disrespect your mother. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't. And that's just what I realized as a non-believer. Why shouldn't I? I ain't never made a commitment not to live this way. I'm not, I, you made commitments, not me. Be careful how we engage the lost. We want to be faithful with the gospel. We're telling people what God did for them and what it will result in. If you receive what God did, you'll be forgiven. You'll go to heaven. If you reject what God did, you will be lost and separated and go to hell. But this is what God did. That's the gospel. And I just want to encourage us that I, tons of bad examples and bad witnesses. We need to be people that are that the gospel is on the tip of our tongue and we're sharing it with people that need to hear. It. Amen. That's how you redeem the time with regard to the lost people around us. And if you're hanging out with lost people, and you're not sharing. How messed up is that? Knowing what you know. Knowing you knowing where they're headed, how, how wrong is that to say? It's wrong to say nothing. It's wrong to say the wrong thing. And that's why we need to walk in wisdom. God, give me wisdom as I interact with this individual, because I can't say nothing. That's wrong. And I don't want to blast them out with the wrong information. Let me share the truth with them in love and then leave it with you that you might do something through it. Amen. Moving on now. So he said um, in verse 17, he said, therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And I want you to notice how he said, don't be unwise. Instead, in contrast, understand what the will of the Lord is. And so if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, what does that make you? Unwise. Don't be unwise. Instead of being unwise, understand what the will of God is. And so I want to speak to us briefly about the will of the Lord. It's revealed in two ways. The general will of God is, is just expressed plainly for everybody in Scripture. There are things that this is the will of God for every Christian. You know, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to have a meeting about it. You don't have to fast for a week about it. There are things that are just this is God's will for you if you are a Christian. An example in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, so it says it blatantly. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you will be separated unto the Lord and that you would abstain from sexual immorality. So do you need to pray about whether or not you should have sex? 
when you're not married? No, it's the will of God that you don't do that, right? Do you need to pray about if you're married, rather you can have sex with someone that you're not married to other than your spouse? No, that's explicitly there in scripture. So that's the general will of God. There are many things like that. If you're a husband, what is God's will for you towards your wife if you're a husband today? That you do what? That was weak. <laughs> I've given you husband's opportunity. So if you're a husband, God's will for you is that you do what? Love your wife. Like how? How? Like Christ loved the church. Okay? So you love her sacrificially. That's God's will. If you're a wife today, what's God's will for you towards your husband? Submit. Submit. Well, okay. That was better than first service. Submit. <laughs> All right. So there, right? That, we would, that you would submit, that there'd be respect. That's God's will, right? You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to, you know, have a meeting and get with counsel for that. That's there explicitly. So here are the two ways that God's, God's will is revealed. Uh, the general will of God is revealed right there in scripture. It's just, re- it's revealed clearly in the word of God. The specific, this is where I think people struggle, is gathering the specific will of God. God, there are three job opportunities. Which one do I take? You know, you're single and there's this and that and I don't know which is of the Lord or which isn't, you know. Things where you might not open up the Bible and it say, go to this school, you know, take job number two or whatever. How do we get God's will on those things? And this is what I find, that the specific will of God is revealed through relationship, right? The general will of God is revealed in your Bible, but the specific will of God is revealed through relationship. And I'll explain that as we go through it. So if, if you're here and you're like you're struggling with knowing God's specific will for you in certain things, first thing you can say is or ask yourself is how's my relationship with the Lord? Because it's revealed through relationship, through your, your ongoing interaction with the Lord, um, being led by his spirit on a regular basis, being able to discern God's voice from your own head noise. That's developed through relationship. And I find this that I, I can't be looking for God to get specific with me. If God is telling me, don't do this, and I'm just doing it anyway, and I'm like, but God, tell me what you want me to do for my life. Get specific with me, you know, i.e., you're single, and you're fornicating with this and doing some of that. You're like, God, show me who I'm supposed to be with for my life. Get more specific with me. Why? I'm blasting you. I'm rebelling all over the place here, but I want you to show me more. You can expect the crickets and the silence that accompanies that, that you ain't going to hear. God's like, I've already talked. I'm talking to you about this thing right here. Deal with that. Then I'll get more specific with you. So here go four things, four ways that God reveals his specific will through us. And so number one, God will reveal his will through lives that are submitted to him. If you write notes, write down Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. All right. God reveals his will through lives that are submitted to him. Romans 12, one and two says, uh, Paul says, I beseech you or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. He says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so he says here a few things for the relationship. First, he says, Paul says, I beg you to be a living sacrifice. You know, it's easier to be a dead sacrifice than a living sacrifice. Right. A dead sacrifice has to die. How many times? One time. All done. I think that's easier. Just one time. Just bang. I'm done. I I did it. You know, dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice dies. How often? Every day. Every day. It's a a matter of life. God, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm dying to myself daily in order to be all that you want me to be. And so he says, present yourselves to God, a living sacrifice. 
first. Holy and acceptable, set apart by God, living life that's acceptable to him. He says, that's your reasonable servant. That's not even a big deal. Don't even pat yourself on the back for that. Then he says, and don't be conformed to this world. We live in a world that has attitudes, mindsets, and belief systems that disagree with God. He says, don't be conformed to this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just the ongoing, just let the word of God change your mind about stuff that you're wrong on. Let your mind be renewed through the word of God. Then he said, then you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so through lives that are submitted to him, God will make things more clear, right? Number two, God reveals his will to us through desire. Something God does when we give our lives to him and the Holy Spirit moves on the inside, God gives us new desires. And so many of you have experienced this. When you weren't saved, you had certain desires that after you got saved, you don't have anymore. Maybe you used to want to be this or you used to want to be that or you used to think this would be really cool. And then you walk with the Lord for a while and your desires kind of change. You know, when I wasn't saved, I thought it would be I thought marriage was stupid, you know. I looked at people getting married. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, I would never do it. I was I was never going to get married. That's that was my anybody here. The guys that know me when I wasn't saved, I was never getting married to nobody ever. Never for sure. <laughs> I got saved. And in very short order, it was like, OK, this is how that works. And I need to get married. I need to marry now. I, I, I met my wife two months after I got saved. She was talking about a three-year plan. I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, You got a little less than a year to plan your wedding. We're going to do this thing. So that's what we did. So your desires change. So here go a couple, a few verses. Philippians 2.13, right? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2.13 that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God works in you to want to do the right thing and then to be able to do it. God does it, though. It's not something you muster up. As you give yourself to God, God's like, now I'm giving you new desires. You have a hunger for the word of God. You didn't have that before. You want to serve in the church. You didn't want to do that before. You want to lead people to me. You didn't want to do that before. God said, I give you new desires, and then I give you the power to bring them to pass. I never wanted to be a pastor until I got saved. And after I walked with the Lord for a while, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, he who desires the position of an office of a bishop or pastor, he desires a good work. And then he tells him how he needs to live if that's what God's called him to do. But God said, that desire, you don't make that up. I wouldn't pick this. But God called you to it. It's like, man, this is what I desire. I don't desire anything else but this. He said the last one in Psalm 37.4, he says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God said, if you make me your delight, I will give you the desire. God will, it's twofold. He'll literally give you desires and then he'll give you the desires of your heart as you delight in him. And I want you to know that each of these things, that's not really your energy. He's doing as you're just yielding. God's the one inputting desires in your heart. And then God, I want that. And that probably affects your prayer life. And you're asking God to do things that you, you, you weren't asking for before. And then God starts to do it. His work in your life. And so our desires, God impacts that as you yield to him. The third way that God reveals his will to us is through peace. Right? He gives us peace about things. And so over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in which also you were called to one body and be thankful. He said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That word rule is like a referee. God said, let, let my peace, you know, rule, referee calling something out or in, you know, safe, not safe, you know. So that's the, the peace of God will let you know that, no, that's not me. Yes, that is me. It'll, it'll, it'll guard you, it'll guide your heart. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, to let your requests be made known to God. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on the Transforming Word as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you're ever or near the Inglewood area, you are more than welcome to join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday, and you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You also can call or text us, too, for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that is calvaryinglewood.org. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul around the time he was in prison in Rome. This is one of the most inspiring things about Paul. Even when he was facing some of the heaviest of trials, he was still focused on the gospel mission. He still urged unity. He wrote of patience and love and encouraged people to be as one, just as God the Father is one with His Spirit and His Son. This may seem like an impossible thing to accomplish, but when you're living in the Spirit and by the Spirit, it's easier to genuinely love those around you. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Ephesians next time on A Transforming Word.